Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes. 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, episode 104, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. You guys know the spiel, MyBookie is the number one online sports book in the land. There's a reason why. They have the most prop bets of any sports gambling website. It's easy to use. The interface is awesome. You can find a lot on basically anything. If you want to take the, the Braves and the over, which I would do, if it's still sitting at 83 wins, you take that over and you take it hard and use our promo code ARMCHAIR. That way, they double your initial deposit up to $1,000. Then you can make twice the money because everybody knows the Braves are going to win more than 83 games. That's the easiest bet in the world right now. Take that bet. Go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code armchair. Get your double your double initial deposit bonus there and reap the benefits of our wisdom. And then take a picture and show us and brag about how awesome you are and how much of a Braves fan you are. Mybookie.ag. It's the number one place to go. Play, win, and have a great time. All right, so... Obviously, there is a lot that we have to get to this week. Uh, we've got a new guest coming on for the second segment, but uh, Doc, I think um, I think I need somebody to get in Freddie's ear, maybe, uh, and tell him no more talking until the season starts. This has been a tumultuous six months for one Frederick Freeman. Yeah, every time he opens his mouth, it, through no fault of his own, kind of things kind of seem to go sideways for him. I mean, he's been the face of the franchise for so long people have very high expectations for him and that includes knowing exactly what to say every single time and when he doesn't do that um the rioting is more intense than if say shane green were to say something wrong but with some of the things that came out that he said this week the way that they were presented uh ooh, boy he has got his foot in his mouth right now it's almost. It's pretty easy to tell that Freddie is much more of a player than he is a PR person. I think we're starting to see why Freddie usually doesn't speak a whole lot. And 
Obviously, we're speaking, of course, about the Jeff Schultz article. Uh, if you don't have The Athletic, I'm sorry. I'm not going to read the entire article for you. But if you go to Jeff's Twitter, he's got, he's got a little, uh, little preview of it up there, and you can read it for yourself if you want to check what we're saying. Uh, it, is not, it does not read well. And I said this in the Locked On show yesterday that I really, really hope that it just didn't get I'm, I'm really hoping that the intent wasn't the way that it was written. I'm hoping that, that Freddie just didn't come across in the manner he intended to because it does not read well at all. Well, and, and some of this is, you know, when I first saw the headline that Freddie Freeman was taking two painkillers a day in the final six weeks of the season because of the, the problems he was having with his elbow, I kind of didn't even really bat an eye. I was just like, oh, yeah, he was hurt, whatever. And I didn't think too much of it. And... So much of the information that we absorb anymore is, is we're reading it. You know, we, we read all of these different things online, and so the text is very flat, and it's up to us to interpret it in certain ways. And say what you will about Jeff Schultz and his tone, which, by my estimation, tends to kind of be a little negative sometimes. Um, a good writer can sort that out and kind of point you in the right direction. And if that is actually the case here then the actual situation is a mess. You know, this really kind of paints Freddie almost in a in a bad light. I mean, I know there are a lot of people that are banging the drum that he's like a selfish drug addict, and I don't really think that's the case at all, but there's a lot to unpack. There's really a lot to unpack with, with, with this, and I, I don't think that he... Um, I don't think he worded things in astute enough of a manner to keep people from reaching that conclusion on their own. No, and I'm going to be perfectly clear for those of you that didn't listen to the locked on episode. First off, shame on you. Um, but more to the point, I don't blame Freddie at all. It's a very common mindset and it, it should be expected that an athlete is going to have this mindset. Athletes are type a competitive nature type of people. Uh, really, as soon as you get into high school, this is kind of the way people view this, the way players view this is we've got, even the NFL has the mantra camp or MLB has it too. Can't make the club in the tub talking about, you know, being injured. You got to stay healthy. You got to stay on the field to make the team. Well, when you're talking about something like this, I expect players to try to do whatever they can. And you're talking about a cortisone injection, uh, which anybody who's played, basically anybody who's played any real competitive amount of baseball has had a cortisone shot or two in their time. Um, they, they feel awesome. It's a true wonder. Um, doctors are, science has come a long way as far, or medicine, I should say, has come a long way in terms of, uh, in, in terms of cortisone shots, because now we know you really shouldn't have more than three a year. If you have a doctor who you can convince, then you can get more, but you're really not supposed to have three a year. And, and that's, that's a very fairly recent type of change. Even 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, it wasn't hard to get one a month, but uh, that's really bad for your joints. It, it dries out your joints and, and makes you more susceptible to injury in the future, mostly because that's your body saying, hey, man, chill out. Same thing when you're talking about the painkiller injections. Now, the painkiller injections were, quote unquote, undisclosed. Uh, again, people that have played at any competitive level, it was tore at all. I mean, it, but that, that's the only thing that makes sense. That's what they use in the NFL as well. It's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory painkiller that you inject. Uh, so you won't pop a drug test for a steroid. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty, it's a painkiller for, as they describe it, severely acute pain. 
Uh, it's not something that you. It's not something that you're recommended to take for chronic pain. You're really only recommended to to take it like no more than five days. Like if you if you take it like five days in a row or five more than five injections, you're not supposed to take it because it's got some side effects. And Freddie talking about his vision going blurry. That's one of the rare side effects of Toradol. It's not a common one, but it it is listed under the rare side effects portion of it, along with a host of other things. Because Toradol is not not easy on your kidneys or your liver. So taking them as much as Freddie did, and he doesn't specify how many times he got the painkiller injections. He just states that he wouldn't get the injections before a game because his his vision would go blurry. Uh, It's the other part that kind of knocks this into a different perspective and that's talking about the painkillers him mentioning that if he wasn't taking the heaviest duty painkillers then he was taking as many extra strength tylenol as he could and you know eight people think an 800 milligram tylenol oh, that's really nothing but if you take more than you're supposed to that's also hard on your kidneys too i mean people think that just because doctors hand these out and because you know these are they're medical professionals that make this stuff that it's fine for your body just go read the Go read the label on your bottle of Tylenol in your in your medicine cabinet, and you'll see like it, it's it seems like oh it seems like you're overreacting when you say oh you shouldn't be abusing Tylenol, but there are some serious side effects that can, that can occur just from that. But really, it comes down to the undisclosed pill uh, taking twenty milligrams, which again for those of you that have played sports any length of time, they don't name the drug, but we can all. I, we can with 99.999 forever percent certainty say Percocet. That is the most commonly prescribed painkiller for athletes uh, because it doesn't last incredibly long. It'll last a couple hours. It, it's not morphine or anything like that. It's not Oxycontin, but Percocet has a very high addiction rate. And you you if you're having to take that type of stuff for six consecutive weeks before a game in order to make it through the game, you shouldn't be playing. And while I don't blame Freddie one bit, I severely and I, I very much blame the trainers. Uh, and I blame Snicker as well because Snicker, I wouldn't blame Snicker if he didn't you know, talk about how these guys are like his kids. And I understand Snicker's there to win. I understand. I fully understand that's the old school method of baseball, that that's just kind of the way it's been. But Snicker probably should have had Freddie's health. He No, probably. He definitely should have had Freddie's long-term health more in mind than Freddie's uh, bat through the NLDS through the end of the season. But the trainer part, that's the part that really gets me because you're supposed to trust those guys with your well-being. That's the one people in the organization that are supposed to care more about you and your health than how you perform on the field or winning a game, period. And for a head trainer to just be fine with this every day, it sounds like, and this is, a, this is how it sounds according to Freddie. So again, without talking to Freddie myself, this is how it gets interpreted. But taking them that, that long for six weeks, which, you know, if you have a surgery, six weeks is not a particularly long time. But for a guy that's not getting a surgery, that's having to take these six weeks, five, six days a week to get through those weeks to get through the end of the season. At what point do you just kick in and say, hey, man, you should probably get the surgery. If, if you're having to do this for two months, you should probably just get the surgery. And I understand the thought process. And I know I'm dragging on to doc, into Doc's talking time. Um, but I, I understand the process of, oh, we just got to get him through the end of the season and then we can get him fixed. But that's part of a larger problem. Before I get into that, Doc, I'm going to give you a chance to talk. I don't want to I don't want to bull rush you and, and just leave you out of the segment. No, it's that's all good. I mean, it, you kind of touched on the, the addictive nature of this stuff. And without divulging too much, I'll just say that I've had a front row seat to a lot of people um, 
who had something start as just a casual thing, whether it be recreationally or, or medically in some cases. And it's amazing to see how people are able to rationalize certain things. And it starts small, it's, but it's a slippery slope. And the next thing you know, you've got an avalanche. And opiates are nothing to screw with, dude. And especially in the wake of everything that happened with Tyler Skaggs, I, I mean, because that happened in July and all this stuff with Freddie was going on very shortly thereafter. And it's just kind of weird to me that there wasn't a little bit more awareness about the long-term ramifications of this. And the way the article reads, the question was asked, well, were you worried about withdrawals or were you worried about long-term impact or addiction? He was like, no, 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 I, I, I knew I didn't have a problem, which sounds a lot to me like, oh, no, I can quit whenever I want, which I... I've heard people say that before, you know, and it's under all of this, there's a really sad undercurrent about there are professional athletes that wind up leaving their sport, particularly in football and in boxing, people that, that have like really, really hard contact uh, being made with their bones and with their brains and everything. It's like, there's a lot going on. And when you're not careful, you see it with, with the Tyler Skaggs type situation where it's like, if you're not careful, things can go too far, even if you don't mean for them to. And when you start looking at like athlete deaths, if we can just get dark about this for a second, you look at something like your Ventura, you look at Oscar Tavares or Kobe Bryant, you know, you look at these things where it's like, they're tragedies, but they're viewed differently than what happened with Tyler Skaggs and what happened with Jose Fernandez. He didn't overdose, but his death was very tightly related to drugs. And, you know, heaven forbid it should wind up getting to that place. You know, like you said, the the player's long-term health should be the number one concern here. I mean, Freddie's got a family. We all, we've all seen the videos of him playing and, and throwing to Charlie Freeman, who's like, what, is he three years old now? You know, and there's more to think about than just baseball. We love it. We glamorize it. We love these guys for reasons that are bigger than the sport. But, I mean, he, there's going to come a point when he's going to be 38, 40 years old, whatever, and he's going to retire, and then there's more to think about after that. And if he's getting cortisone shots and he's screwing up his joints and he's, like, compromising his body, then... There's just so much more to consider than, you know, yeah, it would have been great to have won the NLDS. And if Freddie had been able to hit, maybe there's a, there's a possibility that they could have locked down game three or or, uh, or game one or game four when they when they had the lead going into the eighth inning. But but it almost doesn't matter. I mean, that that stuff is it takes a backseat to uh, to just the larger picture. And I really I really just hope that now that the surgery is done and it's being managed. I mean, yeah, he's he's. He got pulled for inflammation. I hope that they sit him for the next two weeks and let him, let him continue to work and ramp up behind the scenes. Don't get him into games until you absolutely need to. And put his long-term health as the number one most important thing of this. So this is just a lot. There, there's a lot of things about this that are, that are very kind of troubling for me. And it, and it should be troubling because it points to something that's not... like The, re, the reason I don't really blame Freddie for this or, or you know I don't... I'm not super angry at Snicker. I'm disappointed in Snicker. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed it, because it speaks to a larger problem in professional sports. Like this isn't this isn't something that's baseball centric. And you see people online because Twitter can sometimes be terrible talking about how oh it's not a big deal. Uh, if this bothers you, you should see what NFL players do. First off, you should never use the NFL as your bar for healthcare. 
uh, seeing as they pay doctors to keep quiet about concussions for like 20 years. Um, they're, they're not exactly, they shouldn't be the standard for healthcare. Uh, and the sheer number of athletes who end up addicted to prescription painkillers in, in the NFL is absolutely insane. Talk to somebody who played in the NFL. Um, just ask Brian Finneran from 680 or Hugh Douglas or Harry Douglas from 92.9. And I'm sure if they're willing to talk to you about it, you'll, you'll come away with a different point of view. But it does speak to it does speak to the way that that we kind of view professional sports as a whole. And I brought this up again. I brought this up on Locked On because sports kind of take the place. It's like a modern day gladiatorial event where you kind of think more of the entertainment value. You kind of view athletes abstractly. You don't view we don't view them as people. So when we're thinking of things like, oh yeah, he's perfectly fine. Just take a couple pills and get going. You're thinking that that's fine, you know, once or twice, maybe, okay, whatever. But if you're having to do it consistently for two to three months, you shouldn't expect anybody to do that. You shouldn't expect yourself to do that. The fact that we've got this this mindset and mentality that this is okay, that this is no big deal. I mean, we know firsthand how how crazy and, and how epidemic this opioid crisis really is. I mean, it's been going on for years now. You see what happens too when you end up not being able to get the prescriptions anymore. People turn to heroin and, and things that simulate the effect. I mean, this is not, it's not nothing and it shouldn't be trivialized. Now, I'm not saying that you should go around saying that Freddie's a horrible person or a horrible role model because that's not the case at all. Freddie's been, Freddie was just doing what he's been conditioned to do and what most, most athletes are going to do, which is if I can find a way to play, I'm going to find a way to play. The problem is the checks and balances system that's supposed to be in place didn't work because in professional sports, this is a this is a common mindset. This is a common mindset throughout co- coaching, trainers, athletes, everything. And it permeates all the way down into like the high school levels where we shouldn't be doing that. We should be realizing that these people are 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 people like us. Like they're the sports are a great thing. They bring a lot of people together, but they are they are finite. I mean, it's you're going to play until what? You're 36, 37. Maybe you get to, to make it to 40. But it's such a small amount of your life that you're dedicating to that. You've got so much life after. And that's not even talking about like Charlie Freeman and playing with his, like Freddie playing with Charlie and, and being able to pick up your kid or, or toss a baseball around the yard. You're talking about somebody's long-term health that you're willing to sacrifice for your entertainment because you don't view them like you do your friend across the street or or your coworkers, you you view them as an abstract, as some as almost like a almost like a superhero. It's almost like a superhero complex, I guess. And this this is the one thing that professional professional sports need to make a real concerted effort to change this completely. We need to take the stigma away of if a guy sits out for his health that he's a bad teammate or he doesn't care enough about his team. That that's just not the case. I mean you have to be you have to be willing to take care of yourself and that needs to be the standard my dad when me and my dad were talking about this and i you know talked to my dad about a lot of stuff he said something i kind of thought was very profound and all for for anybody who's new to the show i mean i'm having i don't know if i've actually announced this on the show but um uh, i'm having my my first child i'm having a boy uh in july so you know, he kind of looked at me and he said, easiest way to tell for all of this stuff is if you, if you wouldn't let your kid do it, you don't need to do it. And that, that's something that rings true because nobody's going to want their kid, their child to be taking all these painkillers to get through it. And if, if it's 
if it's horrible for them, you know it's bad for you too. So I, I think this is something that as fans of the sports, we kind of need to make a concerted effort to really help promote this type of change and this type of mentality so that the next generation of players, we can kind of move away from from this aspect of you're expected to sacrifice everything for my entertainment. We need to kind of take a step back sometimes and remember these guys are, are just normal guys like you and me. They just happen to be really good at something that's on TV and it helps us all forget our day-to-day life. But rather than rather than expect them to sacrifice this stuff, we should kind of honor what they do sacrifice already and not expect them to give up everything just so we can enjoy watching a game for three hours. Very well said. I, I think that's that's really true. But I tell you what, man, I'm about ready to get to some happy news. Can, let's, can we talk some prospects for a second? Let's let's talk some prospects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely can. We absolutely can. I know I know that's a downer, but it's just something that I really feel like we can't mention that enough. That's something that that really does need to be mentioned. So, for for the next time No, you're, you and and you you're absolutely it, right. You you really are right about that and it's just Yeah, um, we can move on to the Keith Law thing. Just last thing. Just next time you want to next time you want to talk about a player who doesn't care enough about his teammates or whatever, kind of pull pull back for a second. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but to get on to, to different Braves news that's, that's not disconcerting, Keith Law came out with his top 100. Now, there are certain sports writers, um, there are certain bloggers, I guess I can include myself in this, um, who kind of make a big deal about leaving people out of rankings or ranking players differently than the, than the industry standard is. Uh, Keith Law is one of these guys that when he makes an initial call on somebody, he does not change that call. Now, sometimes it, it works out for things that we're all going to like, like Christian Pache being rated number five in his top 100. Other times, it's a little bit more of a head-scratcher, like Bryce Wilson or Braden Shoemake being rated ahead of Drew Waters, who was left out of the top 100 completely, despite the fact that I believe Drew Waters is 37th on Baseball America, on baseball or on baseball, uh, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline's top 100. I believe he's like 35 in the Fangraphs top 100 as well. So uh, it's like a full 60, it's almost like a full 70 rank difference between Keith Law and essentially everybody else in the industry. And th- that is one thing about Law, that that he's he's notorious. He's absolutely notorious for being, being very cavalier in his opinions. And y- you look at his list, it's not just the Waters thing and, and Shoemake being... Uh, ranked number 94 or, or still having Bryce Wilson in the 60s. You know, up and down his list, there are some things in there. Like, I think he had Daniel Lynch at number 13, which Daniel Lynch is a fine prospect. He's a left-handed That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Right. And that that's one of those things where I'm like, oh, okay. And the, one really important thing to remember is that prospect ranking is completely a subjective process. And like whenever I wind up doing like the the composites, the number one limitation I always point out to people is I'm trying to put something that is completely subjective and look at it in a completely objective fashion. You almost can't do it. And when you start looking at all these different lists, like people's biggest complaint with Pipeline for years has been, oh, it's so vanilla. There's no surprises here. There's no aggressive rankings or anything like that. And so the same thing you know, people look at Keith Law's list and they're like, oh, well, you know, this is this is just too much in, in the other direction or whatever. And I think Braves fans are probably a little salty still about the fact that he was never super high on Mike Soroka. And he apparently was just 
banging on Austin Riley for not having elite bat speed for forever, and then Austin Riley got up and then kind of kind of demonstrated the exact same thing he was talking about. Um, I mean, he doesn't have elite bat speed. I mean, I was pointing that out two years ago, but go on. Yeah, but and and that's the thing. Like, and so many people are so up in arms about this Drew Waters thing that nobody's looking at the fact that he's got Christian Pache ranked as number five. That's great news. That's really awesome news. And with Waters, there's so many people that are mad about this ranking that have never watched him play baseball at all. Or maybe they saw him once on MILB TV, or they, they saw a Gwinnett game when he came up after August. And it's just scouting the scat, scouting the stat lines. But if you're going to scout the stat line, then you have to scout the whole thing. And when I, I did the write-up for Waters when we did the Talking Chop Top 30, and I wanted to make sure that I got that. I signed up to write him up because there are certain things that I've noticed about his profile that give me a little bit of pause. And Law echoed some of, some of the same things. And I'm, he, Waters did make Law's just missed list. But one thing that he points out is that I don't think you can swing and must swing and miss this much in double A and hit 300 plus in the big leagues. And his strikeout rates, they are absurd. Like we're talking, you know, 25, 30% it at double A. And yes, 35% in triple A, I believe it was. Yeah. And so, and yes, I know he hits a lot of line drives. I know that it is different when you're looking at minor league numbers. The lowest batting average on balls in play that he has had since he joined this organization was 362 last year it was 435 okay that's to put that to put that in perspective for those of you listening that's a higher babbit than Jordan Alvarez uh Drew Waters does not hit the ball harder than Jordan Alvarez and it's you have to be careful when when you're looking at minor league numbers for for that very reason but once again if you're going to scout the stat line you have to look at the whole thing and say okay People can can get upset about BABIP all they want. It there is some validity to that, but if it was in the other direction and his BABIP was two thirty five, and that pulls his batting average down to like two eighteen, these same people that are furious about Drew Waters not being ranked might be saying, "Oh well, you know, he was only hitting two eighteen because you know using batting averages that's a totally normal thing to do anymore." So I would have Drew Waters in my top hundred, but at the same time. Like I said, it's a fully subjective process. And if Law doesn't... Th- I mean, people love to dig up his old takes because, yes, he missed on Jose Altuve. A lot of people did. And and he's a dick. Well, and, let's, be, let's be honest. And he, he is not a... He's a very high up on his own pedestal type of guy. He loves to smell himself. Uh, he, he loves to, to play uh, the I'm holier than thou type card. So people do like to tweak Keith Law. And I understand. I can't stand Keith Law. Doesn't mean that he's not good at a lot of the things he does, but you talk about it being a subjective measure, measuring prospects. That's true to a point. Like, if I were to come up and make a top 30 list and say that Victor Vodnik is number one, is the number one Braves prospect, while we can agree prospect rankings are subjective, there is no subjective measure that would show that Victor Vodnik is a better prospect than Christian Pache. Like, it's just, that's just not true. And sometimes I, there's a couple ways this can happen. One, if just if you're making a top 30, you can forget. I forget at least three or four people two or three times through and have to go back and reorder them. I can't imagine trying to do a top 100 and then having to go back in and find out where you'd place them and where that moves everybody else in the list. So I do think that sometimes writers are just like, you know what? I've spent enough time on this. I'll just throw them in the just missed and I'll take the hit. 
I think Law likes to do a little bit where he likes to have some surprises. Where even if he's not like even if you're not particularly high on Drew Waters, there's no way you can look at Drew Waters and look what he's done in the short time since he's been drafted, and then look at a guy like Daniel Lynch and be like Daniel Lynch is a hundred spots better than Drew Waters. Like, that's just that that's just asinine. That's just Keith Law being Keith Law to try to get some people talking, and it works. I mean, people are obviously going crazy about it, um, but it does kind of show you the the nature of prospect analysis where. We tend to gravitate towards the the evaluators who agree with our preconceived notions. So, like, uh, I, I try not to do this when I look at it, but it's very hard when when you're talking to somebody. Like, let's just take the Christian Pache and Drew Waters debate because that's that's a big debate in Braves country about which one is actually the better prospect. Most of the time, people on the Drew Waters side will will point towards one that has Drew Waters rated at like twenty seven. Uh, the other ones will point to something where Christian Pache is ranked in the top 10 or ranked in the top 15 and show, we'll see, look, everybody else thinks so and, and use that as their basis without understanding that it's such a crapshoot. There's a reason why when you like there, there one, I think every evaluator we've ever talked to has mentioned that they hate doing comps because they never come across correctly. But it's one of those things that as a baseball fan, you're always going to want to know who you should expect this guy to be. So I agree with you that it is subjective in nature, but I disagree that it's entirely subjective because there are certain claims that are just not the case that are that are done more for more for noticeability, I guess I would say, than anything else. And and I certainly see what you mean. And and this, I think, is the first time that Braden Shoemake has made a top 100. He was in uh, Dan Simborski's zips projection zips top 100 which is which is a little bit different but this is the first one of like the the major outlets because the athletic has has pilfered every major writer that there is this is the first time i've seen shoemake on one of these lists and i'm more bullish on him than a lot of braves country is and i kind of find the notion a little ridiculous that, that, Certainly more bullish than I am. Well, yeah, and and that goes for a lot of people, and there and a lot of that has. By to the do way, with, by the way, hold on. By the way, Braden, if you're listening, this does not mean that I that I am talking bad about your talent at all. Oh yeah, no, of course, and I mean he, he's obviously listening, but y- you know it's uh, it's still just one Listen, of those. Like, it comes into subjectivity. We evaluate we evaluate players differently, and I think he's kind of the victim of expectations, which. He was picked with a 21st selection overall and got full slot. And, you know, which was not too much less than Langoliers got. And regardless of what you think about that, the people that are making the decisions to take these guys, you know, my opinion, it doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. No offense. Anybody who's listening, like, the people that are making these decisions, they do know more about this stuff than we do. They, they're the ones that are going out and they're watching these games. And they have, there's a reason why they go and they watch them 10, 15, 20, 30 times before they wind up drafting them. So, but it, the thing about expectations is it comes back to, it comes back to the comps. I remember Jim Callis saying that, uh, he got kind of backed into a corner when asking about a comp for Dansby. He threw out Derek Jeter, and it's like, well, first ballot Hall of Famer, almost unanimous. Okay, well, that's something to look forward to. And so when Dansby doesn't become Jeter, then everybody gets mad at him. you know. And like when Ronald Acuna hasn't done Christian Pache any favors, because if Pache comes up and he doesn't play just like Acuna, then he's a bust. So... Careful, temper your expectations, and remember, it's just a prospect list. 
You know, if, right. you, if you don't like the fact that water's on that, do like what you were just saying. Go to Pipeline, go to BA, go to Fangraphs. They've all got waters in the top 50. It's cool. We're going we're gonna to survive this. Go write your own. Yeah, go write your own. I mean, if it's something that enough people like, then all of a sudden you'll be the guy that people turn to for prospect analysis. And there you go. Um, but I know we're focusing on Waters and Pache here, but we should mention Kyle Wright being in the 60s. Um, it's it's a bit of a fall for him, considering uh, I believe he had an 869 ERA in the big leagues last year. Uh, Bryce Wilson, four spots behind him. William Contreras at 75. Ian Anderson clocking in at 27. I think that's... I don't think anybody should be upset with that one because uh, Ian Anderson is another one of those guys, similarly to Drew Waters or Christian Pache, that because we see that they're the top three in our system, we have a tendency to maybe over-evaluate Ian Anderson at such um, and think that because he's our number one pitcher that he's going to be Max Scherzer or something of that nature. Uh, without really just appreciating Ian for what he is. But it's very cool that he made the top 30. I mean, that's that's not an easy thing to do. There are a ton of prospects out there. I mean, every team probably has, you know, about 45 to 50 if you want to really call them prospects. Uh, and for Ian to, to be top 30 is a very big achievement. And it does show how many people are sold that he's at least going to be a very good major leaguer. Maybe not the ace that a lot of Braves fans are, are, are you know, kind of talking about there, at least in my opinion but should be a very good pitcher nonetheless. And you have got to see him a little bit in spring. And it's been about what we should have expected from him. Uh, good strikeout stuff. Also, um, not the greatest command in the world. Can struggle at times with putting the, ball in pl- uh, putting the ball where he wants to put it. But basically what you and I talked about really last week about the importance of this spring training and, and some of the battles going on. There's so many players in camp that just finding innings for a lot of these guys it's going to be a nightmare. There's 68 players in camp. This is one of the largest spring trainings I've seen as far as how many players were invited. So you're already starting to see certain guys are getting more looks than others. You're talking about Bryce Ball, who's been in, I believe he's gotten at bats in three out of the four games. Uh, Patrick Weigel got in today. He's been in two out of the four games, and he's looked he's looked really good his first outing. Looked okay today, you know, struggled a little bit um, with his location, but didn't give up any damage. You've seen Tucker Davidson once, and Tucker was outstanding. I'd expect to see him very soon. My guess would be tomorrow or the next game. Uh, seen Fulte come out of there already. You saw Max Freed. You've seen Bryce Wilson. You've seen Kyle Wright. Tuki Toussaint went two really strong innings today. So the battle for that fifth starter spot's really kind of heating up because Tuki outpitched uh, Sean Newcomb today. Uh, which you and I have talked about. That's This is going to be a huge spring training for the big four, the Sean Newcomb, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, and Tuki Toussaint. And I think I think you and I can agree that, I, that Tuki is probably number four on that list in the minds of a lot of the Braves front office right now. So he's got a lot of ground to make up to in order to keep being a starter because they're going to look at him and say, worst case, we can put him in the bullpen. But... Every pitcher wants to be a starter. Nobody wants to be a reliever. And for Tukey to remain a starter, he's going to need more outings like he had today. I thought he looked great today. And honestly, Newcomb was, he wasn't nearly as sharp in the first, but he also had some bad luck. There was a, uh, Ozzy dropped the ball on a stolen base, and then there was a pass ball right after that. Newcomb's second inning was just chef's kiss. 
it was masterpiece, dude. He looked fantastic. And, you know, when Tukey came in to relieve him, you know, he worked really quickly. Um, he looks like he might have gotten a little bit thicker. He's currently thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. So, you know, whatever. I, I wish him all the best. I mean, he's got the best stuff out of any of these guys. So, really, really hoping that Tukey can carve out a role for himself. I, there's almost part of me that wants him to start in AAA just so he can get those reps. Because he's still young. You know, to, all of these guys are still so young. Like anybody who, you know, there's people that are giving up on Bryce Wilson. I mean, the kid's 22, you know, so they all still deserve some patience. Nuke probably less than the other guys because he's like 26 now. So <laughs> Nuke's almost as old as Fulty. God, that seems so weird. And, and uh, you know, but then again, it seemed like Julio Tehran was like 85 years old and he's like 29. So <laughs> seems like seems like Felix Hernandez is like 43 and he's 33. Yeah. So. I think we're, this farm system, even, you know, the whole idea with, that from copy was waves, and that's still kind of happening here. So there's still a lot of really good talent in this farm system. So regardless of how you arrange it, then, you know, there's still a lot to be excited about. So whoever wins that fifth rotation spot, it's not just going to be handed to them. Or I suppose the fourth rotation spot as well while Hamels is out. So, yeah, there's still a lot to be excited about here. Tukey looked good. Nukem looked good. Bryce Ball goes mammo. Off of friend of the program, Bruce Zimmerman. Bruce Zimmerman. Kind of some weird emotions there because we both love Bruce so much, but uh, it's hard not to love Bryce Ball, man. It's such easy power. And you can see why the Braves are very excited and brought him into camp this early. Came from a very good school. You may not have heard of Dallas Baptist University, but it's a small school powerhouse. So, uh... Very excited to see Bryce Ball. Drew Waters got to play today. Today was not as good a day for Drew. Struggled a little bit, but uh, very excited to get to watch these guys all throughout spring training. It's going to be a lot of fun, even if there's not a lot of spots open on the big league roster. Just to be able to watch these guys face big league pitching is going to be a treat, even if we know most of these guys aren't going to make the club. Uh, but it, it's fun to watch them while you can, and it kind of gives you a little uh, a little taste of what's to come. Not unlike this little tease where we tease... A former Major League player looking to be a Major League player again who will be joining us, oh, in, say, about a minute. Coming up next, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, episode 104, ladies and gentlemen. Doc Herbert here just wanted to remind you that this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by Armored Pajamas. Just because you're not paranoid that you're going to be murdered in your sleep doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And if you get into a huge fight with your loved ones, you can never be too sure whether this will be the time they finally snap and decide to finish you off for good in the middle of an otherwise peaceful slumber. So with Armored Pajamas, you can rest assured that if they're going to kill you, they're going to have to work for it. You can let your guard down and still get a restful night of sleep. Armored pajamas for heavy sleepers only. Okay, so as Dylan teased so deftly, right as we were going to break, we have a very special guest for you today. We've been doing our uh, divisional preview series over the past couple of weeks, and we are going to put that on hold for one week. Uh, we will be back to starting with the National League previews next week. Right now, we have a former Atlanta Braves outfielder, current Minnesota twin, and the hitter of the longest home run I have ever seen, 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's L.A. Swiftness himself. It's Lane Adams. Lane, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Dylan, thank you guys for having me. Excited to be joining you guys. So first things first things first out of the way. Uh, Lane, looks like you're about to try the old tried and true super niche product of being a current player who's going to have his own blog and what I can only assume will transform into his own podcast, uh, similar to Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry. Uh, we'll see. Hope I will see. I don't know. Um, this is just a new thing I'm trying out. I've always, uh, when I was younger in high school, I always liked and enjoyed writing, like English class and all that creative writing classes and stuff. I always enjoyed that. And it's something I've been doing over the last year has been journaling. So I decided to, why not just share, share what I write and, you know, kind of let, uh, the people, some people see what, what goes on, you know, in a professional baseball player's life every day. So just you give know, us some uh, some quick insights. Like, uh, you don't have to reveal anything, but what's the main focus? Is it just going to be kind of day-to-day life, or, or do you got anything uh, anything crazy behind the scenes, or, or really just kind of shining a light on what minor leaguers go through? Like, kinda, what, what's the what's going to be your main theme? Uh, honestly, I'm just trying to cover it all. I'm just kind of covered everything that I've experienced, uh, things that, you know, what it's... For example, what it's like going from, you know, from uh, AAA to the big leagues and back and forth all year, and uh, living, and you know how to how to prepare for to play off the bench when you've never done it before. And uh, you know, I'm also going to talk about how overrated spring training is from a player's aspect, the pros and cons of that. Uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of things. It's going to be like some things that a little more. I want it to be a little more exclusive things that fans don't really, you know, get to uh, hear or read from a player's perspective as much as um, they would like to. I know as a fan of the game, I like, I really enjoy reading, uh, reading content from, uh, from players. And so that's, I've always been a, always been a fan of that. So I think, uh, I know the fans enjoy that as well. So hopefully I can provide some content that enlightens the fans and uh, bring some, know inside of what goes on minor league baseball player is one of the more underappreciated professions that is out there i mean it's kind of up there with trash men for for putting in long hours doing a a task that you know you really kind of have to commit to to make sure that you're going to be able to to make a living out of it and i I think that this is going to be a really cool thing because you've got you know you you played in the big leagues but you also you had to ascend through the ranks like anybody else did so you You've been there, you know, all of the the talk about pay for minor leaguers. I mean, you start to see teams like the Blue Jays and the Giants, and they're making a, a bigger deal about um, giving raises to, to all of their minor leaguers before it became a league-wide initiative. Now, apparently, there's going to be more pay for the minor leaguers, but you're in a better position to to talk about these things than a lot of other uh, say like a reporter can't really shed the insight on something like this that like you could. I mean, you've been there. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's one of those things I've been fortunate enough to have played. Uh, I think this is my 11th season. So I've been fortunate to play along for a while and, you know, kind of see things, you know, see things over a long period of time and how things have changed, how they haven't, what could change for the better of the, you know, especially the minor leaguers, you know, the guys under the team control first six years of their career. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a, I have a lot of, uh, I guess, 
don't always say experience, but I guess put in the time, I, I say, uh, be able to share some, some things uh, that I've experienced, my, not only myself, but my teammates and other players that uh, who haven't been as fortunate enough like I have been to play in the big leagues. You know, they are, really are living paycheck to paycheck. So, uh, yeah, I'd be, I'm just excited to be able to share some of the things with you guys. Well, let, let's kick that off right away. We've we've interviewed a few of the minor leaguers on the show. I mean, we've had um, Patrick Weigel and Bruce Zimmerman, uh, Justin Dean, Jared James. You had a few guys who were in the Brave systems. Most some of them were were on some of the teams with you at the time. Uh, every time we talk to a minor leaguer, the the thing that always strikes me as insane is people think of minor leaguers as oh they're just not good enough to be big leaguers without really understanding that you're talking about like the top three percent of baseball players in the world and. <laughs> You got guys like Patrick Weigel who are, you know, driving Uber during the season because they got to find a way to make some money. I mean, the the biggest thing for me is it almost sounds like it's harder to be a minor leaguer than a major leaguer because you've got to somehow find a way to afford to feed yourself because uh, Ty was it Ty France or or Ty Kelly uh, posted up what the minor leaguers were offered for lunch and it's essentially the little prepackaged deli slices that are slimy as all get out with a piece of craft cheese on uh, two slices of white bread, um, having to fund your your living arrangements, try to get progressively better enough at the game to actually reach the pinnacle and still have time to, to have another job. How do you guys go through that stuff day in and day out? You've, been, you, you've done it for 11 years. How did you not get tired and just be done with it? Uh, well, that's a hell of a question. Um, well, fortunately enough, I had a signing bonus, so I didn't have the financial burden that majority of players have. So I was very grateful for that. Um, yeah, like you, you hit a nail on the head, hit the nail around the head. It's definitely harder to be a minor league than it was a big league. Um, it's, it's. Uh, these guys are they're professional athletes. Like you said, they're they're top percent. They're the, you know they're the top percent players in the world. They're, they're professionals. They're they're really good at what they do at triple a double a even some high teams um so yeah it's it's unfortunate that guys have to face deal with the financial burden of playing of being a professional athlete and playing every day it's not like you play every other day you play every day so you can't you know there's not a whole lot of uh a lot of side gigs you can do when you have a game every day so it's it's tough man and I, I'm, I'm really happy to see some teams starting to take that next step forward and start to you know, compensate uh, the uh, players on a more livable wage. And it's, you know, the, we, the ball just barely got rolling this past offseason, but I think it's one of those things where um, it, it'll definitely, I think it, I think it's, everything's headed in the right direction. And I think it'll only benefit not only the players, but the organization as well. Cause I think, you know, the players, you know, not having that burden of, you know, what's going to be your next meal, what's your living, you know, you know, checking your, your checking account. Uh, I think it gives a little more peace of mind to where they can concentrate on, you know, uh, their game and their preparation and uh, the process of getting, reaching their goal. That is the major leagues. Did you ever get to the point where you legitimately considered giving it up, or did you always know that this is just 
this is it for you? I mean, did, did you ever think, you know, maybe you'll go be a teacher or something? Uh, yeah, there's, I almost thought about, I, I was really close. I've ever been to hang it up with this past off season. Um, I don't know why it just, as nothing really changed for me. I just, I don't know. I was just tired of, it. I just mentally, is mentally draining myself. Um, and I think, you know, usually around January in the off season, guys start, you know, it's kind of itching to get back to spring training, get the baseball going again. And that just never hit me this year. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm 30 years old. I'm getting old, older, and I want to you know, spend time with my uh, wife and family, or what it is. But no, there was, you know, there's, there was time. So the last time I thought about consider quitting was my, uh, you know, first week into pro ball at 19 years old. So um, other than that, no, I, I, it's been something that uh, that I've enjoyed and thoroughly enjoyed it. I've you know, getting out here for spring training in 2020, and I'm very uh, grateful that my wife pushed me to continue playing because when I got out here, you know, I was back with the, the guys again, playing, having fun. Um, but yeah, it's, there's definitely it definitely crossed your mind, um, and I'm imagining it crosses a lot of you know players' minds just on the financial reasons. I had a I had a roommate who he had to stop playing because he cannot he cannot financially afford it. And it's unfortunate. He has like a, he had like a sub three ERA through three years, um, and he just he just couldn't do it. And that's 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 the hard part to swallow. And that's for some of these guys. And you know, you see him, you see him out there working hard, you know, doing everything they can to make the level. And then it's not even that the talent. Sometimes it's not even the talent that they produce what gets them out of the game. It's just. You know, financially, they can't do it. It's just weighing them down, their family's down, and they have to, you know, sacrifice their careers so they can, their family can be financially stable. It's it's tough, but hopefully in the next couple of years, things will change and uh, the players will be, you know, paid a livable wage where they can go out and focus on, you know, baseball, like, they, like, like a professional should. This is That's one of those weird things where, not people kind of look at me a little bit weird when you know I, I tell people like you guys have no idea how many players are actually major league caliber that just can't afford the insane cost of the game as they get older and older. Like I, I've played against a few guys that have been in the show, and and I've played against guys who, quite frankly, were more talented at the time that didn't have the same resources. And you're talking about minor leaguers where you've got to try to to do that off of. By the way, people who think minor league salaries are all like fifty thousand and up, um, you are very wrong. Um, you should probably ask a minor leaguer about their if they're willing to tell you what their take home is, or at least discuss normal salaries. Uh, it will open your eyes. But just seeing guys that you know are talented enough to make the show and never get that opportunity because they just can't afford it, to me that that's that's probably that would be the most draining thing I think for me would would just be seeing the amount of guys who are good enough to get it just never get their shot in time and, and have to give it up, knowing full well that they were good enough to make it. Right. That, and that's, uh, that you, that's spot on. I, if you're the AAA level, there's, I don't know how many guys I've played against that you just sit there in the dugout and you watch them like, man, how has this guy not had a shot before? Now, there's so many guys up there who can definitely play at the major league level, but it comes down to timing and opportunity. And like sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Like I was coming up in 
in Kansas City, I was the youngest outfielder on a 40-man. I was 24 at the time. And granted, that was when they were going to the World Series. And this opportunity in time wasn't right for me. Like, we had, a, you know, Lorenzo Cain in center, Alex Gordon left, and I think Alex Rios in right field. And it just wasn't a spot for me. And uh, then I leave, and 17, I end up, you know, right place, right time in Atlanta. And it worked out for me that year and the next year. And, you know, that's just and all it takes. It's all it really takes is uh, just opportunity. And it's unfortunate that there's not more opportunities out there for guys. Because um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard game. And all, all any player wants is the opportunity. And I, I'm grateful I've, I've been given opportunities before over the past 10 years, 11 years. And yeah, you're right. There's 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 a lot of guys in the league in minor league baseball who who could walk into a major league clubhouse and help a team win. And speaking of that 2014 team, I believe I believe you were actually co minor league player of the year with along with um, Jordano Ventura, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yes, it was. So that that had to be such a, a hard feeling to know you're getting recognized for being that good and, and look over and uh, you've got Rios and Kane who at that point all Lorenzo Kane was was the most underrated defensive center fielder in baseball. Uh, <laughs> Alex Gordon playing in left. That's just how the luck goes, you know. Uh, I just that's how it went for me. Damn, girls didn't make playoffs for 30 years. I got on the damn 40 man roster and all of a sudden they're in back to back World Series. You know, that's just that's just the unfortunate side of the coin for me right there, but. Uh, no, it was fun. I, I gained a lot of experience out of being on a um, on a playoff team in September. That was a lot of fun. Wouldn't change that for the world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's it was really cool and being able to share that that award with at the time with a really deep minor league system Kansas City had. Uh, it was really really cool, really cool experience for me. Yeah, that was, uh, I believe that was with Terrence Gore being their speedster off the bench, so you didn't even get to do like what Atlanta had you do at first. It was that, that. Yeah, I was. Oh, we had Gore and Dice on our bench. I was the bat. I was the third string pinch runner. The only time I pinch ran in the Kansas City was there's a runner in front of me. It's the only time I ever got to throw. That's terrible. That was make me <laughs> I was, so angry. I, was, I, was, I mean, it was a great, I had the most boring job in baseball at that time. But it was my first. It was my first ever stint in the big leagues, and I couldn't be any more excited for my role. But I do wish I would have had a stolen base opportunity. But Gore and Dyson took all of those, and rightfully so, I guess. Hey, it also it also showed that the Royals were, were doing you a good solid too, because that also making the major major the major league club jumps that salary up a fair bit too. Oh yeah, absolutely. That definitely 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 a nice incentive. But uh, no, I had no ill will against Kansas City. You know, there's great people over there. Great organization. Obviously, a lot of those guys came from Atlanta, so I'm sure you guys are familiar with some of their front office names. But uh, no, it's great people, great great teammates. Some of my lifelong friends are over there, and you know they really kind of helped me create a foundation to be a professional baseball player. So I owe a lot of uh, thanks to guys over at Kansas City. So when you're looking forward into 2020. Then how how are you feeling about uh, about this year? You know, you go into a Twins team that is one hundred and one last year. They are absolutely stacked. They, I mean, how are you feeling about your off uh, off season prep? Are you you ready to go? You ready to take a roster spot? 
Uh, no, I'm not even major league camp, so there's no chance of getting a roster spot. Uh, I'm in the bushes of minor league camp. So honestly, I don't have any expectations for myself. I think I've, I've, I've set expectations for myself. Like, I know what I'm capable of doing as a player. And if I, want, if I can go out there and get in the right state of mind to do that, I'll be all right. But if I set certain expect, expectations for me, I personally will start pressing like I did in you know, 2018 uh, spring training. It was the most stressful month of my life. Uh, so I try. I don't really have any expectations. I'll just go out and play and see what happens and just, you know, enjoy it. Because I have a different outlook on it this year because this could very easily be my last year. Where if I want to continue playing next year or not, I don't know. Um, so I'm just going to go out and have fun and enjoy, enjoy going to the yard every day because you never know when it's going to be your last day. So that's definitely the 30-year-old me talking now, not the 20-year-old. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, take it. I'm not going to hit on two questions right there. I got to hit on that last thing you said. But before we get into that, kind of walk us through what it's like. You've been on, you've been in a few spring trainings where, like 2018, you just mentioned where you are are in there to to make a roster spot but you're one of the few people for whom spring training at that point really does kind of matter every time you come up to the plate what's it like to to go through that type of spring training where it's you don't even get to relax during your spring training like you know the established major leaguers what's it like to try to go into a camp looking to to cement a job it's miserable and it's not it's not the competition it's not the competition it's just that like you enjoy the competition when the game start everything it's just out it's outside it's outside of the uh of the games what is what really wore me out i have a bad game wouldn't be able to like you know i would go home i dry swing in front of the mirror of the hotel for an hour you know i would just talk to all my hitting guys you know different different things just trying to like figure out what's going wrong at the time or what went wrong and how can i fix it uh i'm a very cerebral person so uh I, I would look for answers. Like I remember one time I was struggling, like hitting with shadows, like you know the shadows in the on the field. Mm-hmm. So I like, tried to Google how to hit with shadows on. I was hit with when shadows on the field. Didn't didn't find an answer. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's tough, man. I wish, like, I wish I could go in there and just you know lo- have a spot locked up and uh, uh, and just coast through spring training. But that's not the case, and I don't think it ever will be. But it's uh. It's 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 stressful. Anyone who's anyone who asks that who's fighting for a rush spot says it's not stressful is lying to you. Because it definitely is. I I can only imagine hitting on that final thing you said, talking about how this could potentially be your last year. You said that you might have said that more cavalier than I've ever heard any ball player ever mention that they might be done. Is this something that you've kind of contemplated? Because even me, who never made it nearly as far as you guys did, the last I still remember the the last game that I played. And uh, had I known then that it would be the last season I would have played, probably would have done things a little bit differently. But are, are you truly at peace with that? Like, have you fully come to terms with that? Or is that something that once you get up against it again, you, you might, uh, might face a, a, a different type of feeling again? I don't know. Uh, I, I think, I, honestly, I don't like baseball that much. We're being, if we're being if we're being completely honest, I don't really like that much. I just want to play. Like I don't, I hate watching it. Like I watch like I like watching hitters. I don't like watching anything. I don't like do watching like full on games. Uh, I, I I just don't enjoy it. 
I enjoy playing it. Like I enjoy my four at bats. I enjoy when a ball's hitting my way. And I enjoy like stolen bases. Everything else in between, I really could do without. Um, so I'm a, wow. I'm a, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, that's hundred percent true. Um, but you wouldn't think that though. But with that being said, I uh, I'm at peace with it because I've exhaust I I've done everything I can. I've I've turned over every stone I can to be the best player I can be as far as traveling, visiting certain hitting guys, going and doing like hour a day at an optometrist for my eyes, one off season to all kinds of different stuff that I've tried to help help me uh, you know, be a better player over the past five, six, seven years. Like it's been nonstop. I've canceled vacations, got to go hit with somebody and all this stuff. I actually dipped out a chop fest one time. So I had to go to California and hit early once. So like I, I've exhausted myself, not exhausted myself, but I've, I have done everything I can as far as a work working, to make myself a better player. So if let's say this year's my last year, whatever, tomorrow's my last day, I would be able to sleep. I build, I'd be a piece of myself knowing that I gave everything I can't, I could, uh, I did everything I could to be the best player I could be. So yeah, I'm in, I'm at peace with it. So if that if this this uh, pops up again next year, this this question I got to ask myself next off season, uh, we'll see we'll see how how that goes. Um, anything a lot can change, you know, in a season. So uh, like I said, I'm just taking it. I'm just going to take it for one day at a time and just enjoy this season as much as I can because you never know what's going to happen. That's a rare thing, man. I mean, it's been seven years since I've taken a competitive pitch, and uh, it's one of those things that I I hate to mention this to my wife because uh, she gets this weird kind of like she's mad at me look on her face. But I tell her every time she asks, I give up just about anything to go back. I miss that every day. So it is it is cool to to see somebody who can actually be at peace with it instead of having to like convince themselves that they are because that might be. I think that might actually be the hardest part of any athlete's athletic tenure is is actually being able to move on to the next path and and to really truly be comfortable doing so a lot of players move on and do something else but very rare to find somebody who who's really fully okay with, with moving on to that next chapter it's hard to let that go especially when that's all you've known i mean coming up in oklahoma i mean you've been playing baseball since you were probably five years old playing all the time that most of your life you've de- you've dedicated to the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, yeah, I, I'm very very like fortunate. I've been able to you know go out and train, get with certain people, and all this stuff. And um, yeah, so like I said, I've done everything I can on that end. Uh, but it's it's weird because you know this time last year, had I. You know, I didn't have any. I didn't have a day of service in the big leagues last year. But this time last year, I was. I had, didn't have the same mindset. Like it was different. Like it was one of those another you know, stressful, stressful spring trainings. You know, staying up at night, not being able to sleep, type things. Um, so, and a year later, it's I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with whatever. So, uh, I, I hopefully that'll be that'll help me perform better, uh, but. So we'll see. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stress myself out about it. I'm not gonna stress my wife over uh, about it. So, 
Yeah, I'm definitely, I, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a, I had the peace of mind that I have currently. Oh, so something I haven't had, gosh, since I was rookie ball. By so, the way, I mean, quick, every, uh, quick shout out to baseball wives, by the way. Uh, yeah, not, not yeah. enough recognition for just how much they have to shoulder. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My, my wife is, uh, she's been, she's been a rock for me. Uh, she's, she's dealt with all the, the ups and downs, the hitting. She listens to me just rabble on about hitting mechanics for hours at a time. Uh, I could be a real dick when I get done. If I have a bad game or stretch <laughs> a bad game, so she's there just deals with it i try not to but it's really hard that's just how that's how strung out i was just high strung stressed like real irritable doing, and i'm not like that anymore. so that so so she i feel looking back i feel really bad at how irritable i i would get throughout a season and she was she was always there and she always taught me off the ledge and not that's spiritually not literally uh and she was, yeah, she's, she's been the, she's been the, the rock for me. You know, my big laid the person I can fall back on every, every day, whenever I need her. So if this does wind up being it, be, seeing as how you don't particularly care for baseball, I'm guessing that going into something like coaching or something like that is probably not a path that you would go down, but would you, um, would you think of being like an agent or something where you're still kind of uh, on the periphery of the game, just not necessarily involved in the, uh, the day-to-day of coming to the field and, and, um, and putting the uniform on just in a different capacity? Uh, I don't know yet. Um, I, people have asked if I wanted, if I want to do something in baseball afterwards. I, I don't, know if I would at least like to take, take some time away from it maybe if I took time away from it you know you might want to get back into it uh but if when I retire if I'm still somewhat athletic I'm going to go back and play college basketball I thought about I almost did that this past year uh, I, you know that was kind of what was that was kind of the decision I was trying to make this past offseason that um so I don't know. Like it's like I like I like the hitting side of it. I like I like I like the. You like being uh, involved while it's going on. I like you, don't, being you don't you don't I like, like the buildup. Yeah. I, I like help. I like helping players. I like helping them. I like I like I like talking, discussing all this stuff, getting information, dissecting it, trying to help players. I enjoy that a lot more than, let's say. I don't know, man. I, I don't want to be a manager or big show training that. But I'd rather be like, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't. I don't know. I, I do enjoy. I do enjoy when I'm able to help the younger players, and I really enjoy like the conversation you have with any player, whether it's big league or minor league or whatever. Like, you know, those nice in-depth conversations that that go on. Uh, I really enjoy those, and uh, so so maybe. It, like this is a job that may, uh, lets me have those type of conversations, sure. Maybe. But I don't really. I don't think I want to. I don't think I want to manage or anything. Maybe maybe bench like hitting coach, just a hitting coach, hitting coordinator, something. I don't know. Something. But who knows? 
I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, I guess. <laughs> well, speaking of those, uh, speaking of those younger guys that you like to help out, you spend a lot of time around some very, very good prospects in the Brave system, and everybody knows about the Christian Paches and the Drew Waters, and we'll we'll allow you to pontificate about uh, how how good those guys are. But is there anybody in the system that us as as fans and, and even Doc and I as you know kind of pseudo evaluators? aren't giving enough love? Like, is, is there anybody that you can notice just from seeing them every day or day in and day out and say that guy is, is being tragically undervalued? Um, let me think. I was, I, was, I, was, I said that I said Pache was back in 2017 when, well, the Cunha, the Ronnie madness was going around. Everyone was kind of overlooking uh, Patrick, uh, but I haven't really seen a whole lot of players uh, lately. Um, Trey Harris is a really good hitter. I was uh, the outfielder. I was impressed with him when I was in Mississippi last year. He was a good player. Shoe makes a really good athlete. She's a really good, really good uh, shortstop. I, you know, who I still like. I still like Contreras. Okay, yeah, William Contreras. He's I, I, do, a I, I don't run. know why. I don't know. I, I, he's a good kid. I, I love his swing, and he's how old is he? 21, 22? So really young, right? Yeah, I believe he's 21. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's turned 22 yet. Yeah, he's still young. He might be one of those guys that takes a little longer to, you know, really click for him, but I still think he. I still think he'd be a really good big leaguer. He's got a, he's got a really good pop. He's got a nice swing. Uh, it's just, it's just, more bats and more seeing more pitches uh, was going to help him. So it might take a little time, but I, I still think he's going to be a good player. Well, Christian Pache. So the big debate is always Drew Waters and Christian Pache. You've seen Pache up close. Uh, describe his defense for the listeners of the show. I think he's a gold glove caliber outfielder right now. The big leagues. Like, I think he's candidate for it. He put in the big leagues all year this year. I think he would put up Gold Glove caliber numbers defensively. He's that good, and he reminds me a lot of uh, Bubba Star. Um, Bubba was, you know, same way. He was defense was year levels ahead of his offense, and his offense is often slowly starting to catch up. Um, so yeah, I think his, his defense though it's 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 fun to watch. It makes being a corner outfielder a lot easier out there definitely that's always kind of the one thing that we always hear every player that talks about Pache whether it's Waters whether it's Andrew uh, whoever whatever they talk about him is it's just the instincts the fact that he doesn't have to dive for anything seems to be like the prevailing kind of like what in the world type of equation is not like how do you get there standing up when everybody else is Jim Edmondsing it and trying to lay out backwards and and that's kind of the that's the amazing thing is like he doesn't dive a whole lot like he gets everything he makes every he makes tough plays look routine, which go, can go unappreciated. You know, he's not no diving catches. You know, people like the diving catches. Well, he doesn't have to dive a whole lot. If he does dive, then it must be a really, really, really spectacular play. But no, he's uh, – I remember 2018, yes, he was, I think it was his, Christian's first big league camp. He – I wasn't a big fan of his bat pad. And I talked to him a little bit about it. And I know site started working with him on his uh, bat path. And you know, two weeks later, bat paths completely like changed and it was more efficient. It was, but 
and it was, it was just night and day better. And he picked it up so quick. Like I've been trying to dick with my bat path for like seven years, and it just comes and goes. He picked it up super quick. So um, it's for his, he's such a good athlete. You know, he can adapt. He can adjust. Uh, to to uh, compete at the high level because you know changing your swing your bat path is very difficult to do especially the older you get um but him just that little that that moment right there uh kind of that's where i really bought into him because i mean not only was he able to do it he was he allowed himself to do it you know some of these kids some of these guys can be stubborn you know but no, he was, you know, he, he's going to do anything that's going to help him get better. And that's a, and that's a, that says a lot about Christian as a, as a human, you know, he's, you know, he, he wants, he wants to, he wants to be as good as he can be. And, you know, I, I, I hope he has a long, long career and, and plays in the big leagues for 12, 15 years. Um, but I think he definitely has the, potential to do that um but yeah big fan of christian and the impact of that was seen pretty much immediately we were at the futures game when pache came out and hit not one but two home runs off of sean newcomb which is which is no small task and uh and he's been able to ride the power ever since then so and that will to learn i mean Everybody knows how good his defense is. Pache obviously knows how good his own defense is, and the biggest limitation is going to be the bat. So having that openness and somebody saying, like, you can you can make it now, but you can be amazing if you make this tiny little tweak and being able to work on it, I mean, that's that's amazing. So, and like you said, some of those guys get so incredibly stubborn. Like, you know, they take 100,000 swings, and they say this is just how it's going to go, and it's hard to make those incremental tweaks. That's actually good to hear how receptive he is to that type of change. Yeah, and especially especially when a kid who was in his first major league camp goes out, and you know, I think he might have—I don't know—I think he might have struggled a little bit out of the gate in his first couple of bats, but he stuck with it. You know, he didn't get discouraged. He stuck with it, and he's starting to see the payoff now. And you know, that's that's also a big—you know—the the discipline. That's people don't realize. Only people understand the discipline it takes to play at the major league level. To know yourself and to not to not try to do too much, not exceed your limitations. As big as as many limitations you have, you got you got to be able to be disciplined. Whether that's you know, staying within yourself, hitting, not getting too big on two o three one counts. I mean, just being able to be disciplined throughout the game, before the game, in your work, your batting cage, batting practice. You know, all of that all that ties into making a great baseball player. For a long time and he he has discipline and i think in every major leaguer every, every major league baseball player who's ever played has had just has been a disciplined play, disciplined player can you kind of compare him to acuna um did you were you around ronald at all when he was really flying through the system and, and destroying everything that he saw yes i was i i wouldn't i wouldn't compare him i wouldn't say i wouldn't compare him to acuna i think Cunha's got a little more power. I lost it a little more. More power. Um, uh, I, I as much as they're as much as they seem to be alike, age, everything, you know, stature. They they are they are different hitters. I don't see I don't see 
Pache being, you know, 40 homer guy, the way Acuna could be, um, or is, I, uh, I don't see, I see him more new ball. I just see him getting 20 to 30. It depends what balls they might be using, I guess, but no, he, I can see him hitting his, I can see him being Lorenzo Kane with more power. I'm glad you just said Lorenzo Cain. I've been throwing Lorenzo Cain around for two years on Christian Pache. Yes, you have. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's probably the closest. That's who he reminds me of the most. The way he's smooth, you know, it looks effortless. You know, he runs down, you know, balls 150 feet in a gap. It, it doesn't like he's, you know, trying to do that. He just looks smooth and looks fluid. You know, it's. It's what you want in a center fielder. That's for, that's for sure. Did you spend any time with Drew Waters? No, I, I did not get to spend any time with Drew Waters. Not at all. He was and did not never got to see him play. I've seen his swing on video, though. I do like his swing. A really nice swing. Now, what about uh, what about his swagger? You're you're a big fan of the swagger. Have you uh you taken a look at any of uh, Drew getting out there? Uh, no, I, I I haven't seen him. Uh, I hear he's swagged out, and that's always fun. Uh, no, I, I have. I, I look forward to it. Um, I, he's, he's from Atlanta, right? Or he's from yeah, the area? From uh, he played at Etowah High School. He, uh, no, he'll be. Uh, oh, Braves got a bright future in their outfield. That's for sure, no doubt. But I haven't seen Waters. I hear he's good. The numbers are good and great. He's the way he's flying through the system as well. Put up numbers he did in Mississippi. Mississippi's a graveyard, so that was really impressive. Uh, no, but it looks like he's going to—he's on the path to be as good as everyone said he's going to be. So hopefully that he continues that riding that wave. I bring it up for one reason. They uh they had him in, in the, this is his first big league camp, obviously, but they had him. Uh, he was doing the uh, round of BP, and they had him uh, a mic near him, and. Uh, <laughs> He uh, he didn't lay down a bunt for his last set. He took a free swing, and uh, I I don't remember if it was Ey or if it was uh, or or whoever it was, but uh, it might have been Eddie Perez. But but somebody mentioned to him, "Hey, no, you got to lay down that bunt," and he was just they were asking him, and he just kind of like, "No, nah, I just hit gappers." <laughs> Love it. Yeah, see, gappers don't have to bunt. Why's not bunt? Anyways, right? We're we're anti bunt on this show. Don't worry. Anti bunt. I hate bunting. I hate sack bunt. I'll drag bunt now. Sack bunt is the worst. So you had the speed. You you could make a bunt work. Sometimes it's it's bunting just for the sake of moving the runner over, but you're sacrificing an out. You had the had the legs to actually get a get a bunt for a hit if you wanted to. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I could. It was always in my back pocket. I never really, I never pulled it out too often, unless I was, unless there was some heavy footed dude at third base. That's the only time. I think the only person I ever bunted on. Repeatedly was uh, I'm not gonna say names, but he's there's one guy I, I do bunt <laughs> on a lot. You say Michael Franco from the Phillies? No, it's not. It's not him. It's not. I don't know if it might. I don't know if it would surprise you guys who it is, but uh, yeah, I I bunt on him all in Double A. Bunt him on bunt against him in Triple A. Yeah, bunt, <laughs> bunt on. Uh, no, I didn't play him in spring training. That was another guy. But yeah, every time I face him, I at least bunt one time a game. Just to, he must have hated but, you. Yeah, just because I knew it was a hit. <laughs> but that's the only time I ever did it on my own. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. Um, so we're going to get into a little bit more MLB right, right here. So as a player, uh, everybody has their own opinions on the whole Houston Astros thing, ranging from the it's not a big deal to it's as large a scandal as the steroid issue. Where do you fall on the scale of hitters being able to eliminate or, or really know what type of pitch is coming? Just just from from my own perspective would be knowing if it's an off-speed kind of erases literally half the battle that you have as a hitter up there. Knowing that you can sit on a Raldis Chapman's 94-mile-an-hour slider instead of his 104-mile-an-hour fastball, it's a huge difference. Oh, 100%. I mean, y'all been to spring training, right? Y'all, y'all, have y'all gone to a spring training before? Sadly, no. Uh, I've never made the trek down. But have you Okay, but have you seen videos of guys doing live BPs? Yes. Have you seen them to where they had the screen in front of the pitchers? Yes. You know why they do the screen in front of the pitchers? Because they because that's when they tell they're telling the pit, the hitters what's coming. That's why they put a screen in front of the pitcher. They don't have a screen in front of the pitcher. They don't tell them what's coming. So that's it's a stand. So it's, it's definitely easy. Like if you had if you had to ask me, would you rather take PEDs or know what pitch is coming, or not even what pitch? Like breaking ball fastball, it doesn't have to be slider, break curveball, changeup. It'd just be breaking ball fastball. Like that right there. That that makes that makes hitting seventy five percent easier. How was uh, <laughs> how would you rate the response from Rob Manfred to the uh, whole situation? Oh, man, you're better. Oh, it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> I mean, there's there's it's, no way it's been handled so badly because you can't like send out Astros, a memo. I think the Astros are too smart to be this stupid. Yeah, like, just learn to shut up at some point. <laughs> just say hey. P. Yeah, I, we did it. I mean, Sorry. It's like, who is their PO? I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go interview with their uh, public relations office because you know the past six months they've had a really bad go with that with this and then the uh, the reporter back in yeah, Tobman. like they like I need to run their PR. Somebody needs to. Yeah, it, it's been bad. I I I don't know. I at first I heard about it, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But then I started hearing about. You know, guys getting hit and getting sent down and stuff like that. And it started aggravating me more. And then every day I got more and more aggravated by it. Um, It's, I mean, you're directly affecting the outcome of games. And I think about back when, you know, coffee, I guess, paid, you know, just some under the table dealings. And he got banned for life. Like almost no hesitation. Then you got these guys, you know, and then apparently the whole or, whole organization knew it. And you got you got these guys just directly affecting the outcomes of history of the game by cheating, and it's it's a it's not good. And people are saying it's a league wide thing. I don't think it's a league wide thing. I think there might be three to five teams doing it to this to this extent. Um, Tops. I mean, that could be wrong. There could be, you know, every team in baseball could be doing it, but Braves just didn't do it to me in 17, 18. That could be a thing, too. I don't know. Might have an odd man out in this, uh, <laughs> which would be really cool. So, hey, man, everyone got the signs except you. How does that feel? <laughs> but, uh, no, it's 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 pretty messed up. And, and just, and it's the Astros. You know how the Astros are. They're all, 
they're they're pretty they're pretty a cocky bunch of players, which rightfully so. They've been good. They're really good players, and you gotta have a little bit of you know arrogance to play this game. Um, Every great player ever, except for maybe yeah, Mike Trout, absolutely. has been as cocky as can be. It's 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 not sitting well, and it's not sitting well for I know fans outside of Houston, anyways. Uh, it's not sitting well with players in in the base in in baseball. So uh, it's it's pretty messed up. I don't and I don't know what the punishment should be. I think it should be a little. I think the players. I think the players should somewhat be punished. I don't know what that punishment should be. I think you, I think letting, letting the players off free, was a was a pretty bad, bad look. Well, that's in what's, my opinion. That's what started this whole cycle with then Manfred sending out the memo saying that pitchers that hit them are, are going to get a suspension. So you're telling me yeah. the pitcher that throws the pitcher's just going to say, so I'm going to get a larger, I'm going to get a longer suspension for missing inside than this guy got for cheating for three years. That is going to be a PR nightmare when that 100%. happens. Yeah, it's 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 bad, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do about it. I, I mean, they've been I hit really four don't. times in four. They've been hit four times in four spring trading games already. I saw that. <laughs> uh, it's it's incredible. It, it's gonna it's gonna make for an interesting year. But do you guys think that you think I'm interested? I'm really eager to see how. Uh, Ratings and viewership are throughout this season because every, you know, as bad as this is, and for the game, the baseball community has come up, has came, has come together, and pretty much TW gets the Astros. There's a villain that everyone's going to go against. Oh, dude, they're the Patriots you're, of baseball you're now. Tune, tune into this stuff now. Like it's drama. People love drama, and honestly, I it's uh, yeah, great. You don't want them cheating, but this could, in a way bring some more eyes to the game. I mean, they're messed up as that is for sure. They're the Patriots of major league baseball. So teams are going to oh, tune yeah. in to watch oh, them yeah. get they hit and watch them lose. The Yankees. They just managed to leapfrog the, the Yankees, the most hated team in baseball outside of the, the New York fan base. Like I don't like everyone pretty much doesn't like the Yankees. I don't think unless you're a Yankee fan, but they just managed to like leapfrog them. And that's a, uh, that's that says a lot. I mean, it, I, I really can't describe it. I was like you. I didn't think it was a massive deal at first. But then just going back and thinking about all the times I looked like an idiot on a really good curveball, thinking, man, yeah. if I had known that was coming, I wouldn't have ducked down and had it break right over the middle. Like, that's one of my most embarrassing baseball memories. The fact that I remember this one pitch 12 years to the day, basically, where a guy made me look like an idiot because he threw a curveball in my head. I ducked like a, you know what, and came right over the middle of the plate. If I'd known what pitch was coming, I mean, that's a banger right there. That's a hanging curve. Instead, I look like an idiot, and everybody that I've ever played with remembers that. Yeah. Well, you also have, you got, what's Erwin been saying about Kershaw in the playoffs? 51 oh, sliders and curves a, without a swing and miss? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it was it 50, 51 breaking balls or something? Yeah, yeah. curveballs without swing and miss? A Kershaw curveball? I think falls from the heavens. <laughs> 50 of 51. I got to get that right. My, my, Mike Petriel yeah, will, will get on to me. One. I saw the, uh, what was that? Who did that? Gucci or someone else? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's crazy. And then you got, you know, you got people hammering Kershaw over the past three years for playoff performances. And it's, it's like one of those things, like, 
if he's a pitcher and he's throwing all these, these good pitches and not getting anything to bite, he's got to change up. He's got to change something. He, that messes him up mentally and his whole plan. Like that. That's a. That's a. That's a long. Uh, it's a long effect down the chain. Well, apparently he wound up going to drive line in the off season to try and fix something. I wonder if he. Uh, if he would have done that, if he had known that uh, that they were cheating b- beforehand, before he came out, that even in the, in that particular instance, because I mean, to hear the Astros tell the story, it's like, oh yeah, we cheated everywhere except for the World Series. Like, okay, okay sure. Why why'd you stop there? You should have cheated only in the World Series. I would, yeah, I was. Hey, I would just get the cameras out if we're in the World Series. That makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. So they don't. Did they? They didn't have to do this. They're already a contender. I think so, anyways. Like they're already the best team in the league, in my opinion. Before any of that happened, there was no reason for this. Yeah, it seems like such a simpler time when the the Brandon Taubman saga was like going to be the major scandal of the off season. If we if we only knew, <laughs> if we only knew, jeez, it has been but a, been a way. It is entertaining. It is, I've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed following it. Like I've been following. It's the only thing I've followed. For sure, this has been the most talked about offseason in years. Right. And is that, you you think baseball knows, like the MLB knows that? I think they'd rather it be for something a little bit nicer. Like maybe they could get a little bit smarter and start actually marketing Mike Trout instead of being like, oh, hey, yeah, sorry about this, guys. All right. 100%. So, I mean, this is but the yeah. first time Mike Trout's ever spoken out about anything, and it comes with him condemning the Astros players. Man, must be really bad. Mike Trout's mad against you. <laughs> yeah, if Trout's mad at you, and Marcakis actually goes out of his way to talk to a reporter and mention you, you done messed up, AA Ron. Yeah, you have dropped the ball. All right, well, we're gonna let you get out of here soon. We got two more questions before we end this. These I, are gonna be a little, little bit more fun. So, first things first. Um, fully self-admitted, I'm not a fan of your LeBron over MJ take at all. Uh, I'm Team Michael all the way. Okay, that's understandable. I, but, can argue, I can argue both sides. But we're going to go this. I, I don't want this to get sad, but but I think that it's a pretty good question. Would you go Kobe or Jordan if you're picking a game uh, of two-on-two? Who are you taking? Two-on-two? Yeah. Yeah, you and them versus the other one and, and somebody else. Let's say I don't know. I don't. I don't care. Pick a pick another player. Oh, Jordan. I think, I think that's probably the common Jordan, one. Kobe. I love Kobe Bryant, man. I like Kobe Bryant a lot. Respect respecting him, but he's not. He was, was not on the same level. I say that he was not. He's just, and it's not a knock against. It's not a knock against Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's still like better, like numbers and everything, stats, analytics, better than Larry Bird. So it's not like he's the Kobe Bryant wasn't a bum. Everyone knows it wasn't a bum, but like Jordan, LeBron are just the two. Like it's just like those two gap everyone else, and Kobe's down there, top of that everyone else list, no doubt. But those just, those two are just they're just different. I mean. It is it is crazy when you look at when you look at uh, side by sides of of Jordan and then Kobe. You can see how much of Jordan's game Kobe actually implemented to oh make his. Oh my gosh! Like even the fadeaway, the famous Kobe fadeaway. That's the Jordan fadeaway. That's what that is. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I, I like Kobe Bryant was a freaking dog. I mean, Kobe Bryant was Kobe Bryant because I remember I was watching one of his uh, classic games the other, like a couple weeks ago after he passed, and the guy was like double teamed in the corner, did like a turnaround, the baseline fadeaway, hit off the top corner of the backboard, and I bounced out of bounds. I was like, "What the hell?" And then the next possession comes down, drains the three. I was like, "That's Kobe Bryant. Not gonna let one shot like, you know." in his head he's that's just that's kobe he's gonna shoot and that's that's why everyone loves him and appreciate it because he had that mentality that this is on to the next one i'm coming at you so i do i do i do respect have a lot of respect for kobe brown the way he uh had that mentality that coming at you you know, you know do whatever i can to win this game and you're in it for a dog fight that's that's a that's something I think a lot of athletes who grew up watching Kobe Bryant, you know, taken from him, and that's why he's so he was so uh, loved and respected by all of his you know peers and had tens of millions of fans throughout the world. And God save you if you trash talked him like Kyrie Irving tried at one of Kobe's own camps. What? Oh yeah. <laughs> Kyrie oh. said that he would beat Kobe one on one and that Kobe couldn't guard him. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember that. <laughs> I, I I had to I had to meet Kobe Bryant one year at Skills Academy. He was really he's he's a he was a really cool really cool dude. Really smart. Like he's one of those guys that you would just want to sit there and just like when he talks, he you just want to listen. And he could be talking about he's just I talked about like finer details earlier in the discipline that he had that to a T. Like he he knew every little like the little details and every little thing of which way, what happens, what's about to happen, all this stuff. He was ahead of the head of everyone else around him in terms of that. Um, you know, he's a, he's the epitome of, of just the, just a winner. So, but he's not I done with Brian Sorry. I think one thing about Kobe was that Jordan had, had no equal on his own team. I mean, I loved Scotty Pippen, okay, and and Bill Cartwright. I, I imitated shooting free throws like Bill Cartwright more than I did anybody else, okay? But Kobe had Shaq, and there was like that constant drive to always, you know, Shaq thought he was the best, and Kobe thought he was the best too. So they were always trying to out outdo each other. So Kobe was way better think, than Shaq. Well, no, ab- absolutely, but Shaq was just such a presence. Jordan never played with anybody like Shaq outside of like the Dream Team, right? So, you know, Kobe. Not to say that he would have gotten complacent if he hadn't had Shaq, but I think that having him on the same roster kept him going and pushing and doing everything. You know what I mean? It's not often when you're one of the greatest basketball players of all time that you've got somebody that's trying to hog the spotlight from you at the same time. So I think that kind of was what kept him going. But I would take I Jordan too. I agree with that. He, uh, yeah, he could easily just, def- I mean, he could easily just defer to Shaq. You know, but it's just that wasn't him. No, he wanted to be the guy, and you know he was the guy. He ended up, he was the guy for L.A. forever. So, you know, it, it's the whole thing's a sad deal, man. And it, I wasn't a big fan of Kobe when I was younger. The older I got, in his later years, the more I, you know, learned to res- like respect his his craft and how he went about it, and his like. His professionalism and his attention to detail and discipline and all that stuff. That's what I started started to 
slowly become a big Kobe Bryant fan over the last like seven years. I cheated myself out of his prime of his career, unfortunately. I was kind of in that same boat. I wasn't much of a Kobe fan growing up because I couldn't stand Lakers fans. So uh... yeah, it was. I think it was more L.A. Now, now I like L.A. because LeBron's there. But I think it was. I didn't like Shaq. I didn't, I like Kobe way more than like Shaq. We'll say that. I like Shaq now, but I didn't like Shaq at the time for some reason. Yeah, Shaq the person, awesome, hilarious, lovable dude. Met him a time or two. Oh, uh, yeah. Very cool dude. Uh, but we are finally at the final question of the show, and this has been a staple for us from our very first guest on up to now, and it will continue to be. So we do this with everybody that comes on in an attempt to humanize our guests. So, Lane, before you get out of here, you got to drop an embarrassing childhood story. Embarrassing childhood story. I have a lot of those. Um, oh, man. It's hard to know which one, right? Like, I've got a thousand. <laughs> oh, uh, so we were playing a, we had a bass, like really big, like basketball, like finals of some tournament. It's a pretty big game. A lot of people were there. And we're warming up. And, you know, first time through the layup line, I'm about to just dunk this piss out of this ball. <laughs> and I guess one of the freaking water boys or girls in the game, in the girls' game before us, like, dropped a water bottle right into our goal or around, like, in the paint area. And I went to jump, and I'm talking, I just went straight. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, uh, Home Alone, Black Eyes, horizontal to the ground, fall right on my back. Like just, <laughs> oh, it was it was bare. It was probably I mean, it's a packed house, big game, important game, and and wham! I'm talking, just I hit hard, it was loud, <laughs> it was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is absolutely a good. It's always better when it happens in front of a crowd, too. You know, so you hear people going, "Ooh, ooh, yeah, oh, oh!" I got up just as fast as I went down, though. Oh, what the hell happened? <laughs> no, no, that was weird. That didn't happen. Y'all didn't see that. Oh man! <laughs> yep. so you, you start Water looking. At, start looking. Yeah, start looking at the soles of your shoes. Like, oh, something, <laughs> something must have happened. Shit. It's like when you see a guy make an error and uh, he starts looking at the webbing of his glove like that that, that was to blame. Oh, oh yeah. Dar- darn things loose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, I love oh, it, though. Yeah, I, know, I play with some guy. He Every time he got out, he'd, swing, he'd change bats and blame on the bat. Yeah. <laughs> every time. But it's not my fault. It's a damn bat. Every time. You get out, new bat. There's a hole in this bat. Or, or you take the shoes off and you, you swap the socks to the other foot real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I just put the I put the socks on the wrong feet today. That was the issue. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that is all the time we have for today. He is Lane Adams, the blog Swiftness Online. Make sure you're checking it out, Braves fans. I know you guys remember and love Lane. One of the more personable people on Twitter. Never afraid to share a hot take or just interact with normal people. Lane, we've been thinking about having you on for a while. Thanks for finally coming on with us, man. No problem, man. I'm glad to Glad to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and good luck up there in Minnesota. Hope you don't freeze too badly. I know it's not as warm as it is here in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I'll try to stay warm. <laughs> All 
right, all you guys out there, hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Uh, we will uh, we'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.